0: You might think this is funny, but Pete and I worked all this out already. It's kind of like a little comedy routine to get things started. Um, it really is a thrill to be here, and many people have kind of in a funny way asked me in the last twenty four hours, "Are you nervous?" and i've and and they were laughing, they thought that was funny. but i I am just a little, and here's why because. There were two years when we were down in Iowa, which many of you know about, which I'm going to talk about, and I preached every week. I, you know, I'm not nervous in front of people, and even the church we're at now, um, Incarnation Lutheran in Shoreview, even though we've been there two years, I don't know those people as well as I know a lot of you. Um, okay. It's just going to... I don't know that I see yet. And also, I'm incredibly conscious of the fact that I'm barefoot. I don't know if you noticed that, but um, Megan and I took Sullivan down to her first fourth through sixth grade adventure, and we just got caught in the deluge. And so I'm on outfit number two, and my pair of sandals is very wet. So I decided to just go barefoot, which I think it feels right, actually. It feels holy, it feels obedient. And I'm running with it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with the barefoot. Speaking of Sullivan, um, and Megan can correct me at any point during any times of these talks, but right now I'm giving her free reign. Because I wasn't there in the car when this happened in the last few days. But our kids have been exceptionally excited to come this year. They're always excited to come to Winter Weekend or Summer Splash, but this year it has been Off the charts, I think some of it has been Finn's height and hair, wanting to show all of you. But Sully has been super excited to come. And I guess this happened in the car a few days ago. Just out of the blue, out of nowhere, Sully just kind of did one of these. (gasps) And and Megan said, honey, what's wrong? Mom, I just realized I'm in youth group. We're going to Summer Splash and I am in youth group. I have a different bedtime. And then she's just like, she like freaked out about the change in fourth through sixth grade. And uh, that was just very exciting for, for Sully. By the time we got to Alexandria last night, things got a little obnoxious. We were right by Murray and Betsy driving and we just kind of waved. And the kids all of a sudden started kind of doing this chant and this mantra drive faster, Dad. Drive faster. We've got to get there. They were just so, so excited. And that is all to say that our family loves this place. Pete is not wrong. The kids have really grown up here, and it's become a huge part of our life. Um, Just this ministry, family fest, summer splash, and um, it is a total, total honor for Pete to have asked me uh, to do this, and I take it very seriously The second thing I want to say is when Pete and I were at lunch and he asked me, I knew almost instantaneously what I wanted to talk about. Um, It wasn't something that I had to think about for a long time. Jesus just put it on my heart that this is what I was going to talk about and it's what I've been thinking about for the last few months. Um, And if you haven't heard, the theme of this week that we're going to be talking about is listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit a lot the next few days. Um, And I just want to tell you why a little bit. So many of you know um, this story and this part of our story, but I was at Christ Presbyterian Church for about 13 years, and we're going to talk about that as well But about midway through our time at Christ Presbyterian, um, Megan and I decided that it really was time to go to seminary and do the full meal deal and get ordained as a pastor. Um, And so that started in the fall of 2006 when Sully was six months old. And um, the only way we got through that experience was because I kept working full time the whole way through seminary. Um, And you can kind of do the math. Sully was zero, Finn was five. The only way we got through that was Megan. That's really the only way I can say it. Um, She made the family happen throughout all that experience because there were just a lot of times that I needed to be studying and working full-time, and it was a pretty intense time. Um, During my time at Bethel, I probably read dozens of books. I'm going to say I probably read 64 books Start to finish, and um, I really can't remember almost any of them except for things in the Bible, <laughs> with the exception of the book that I have in my hands right now. Um, and when I read this book, and not only this book, when I read one line of this book, it seriously has transformed my life, my faith. How I think about Jesus, how I think about the Holy Spirit, how I think about God. And um, I don't know if you've ever had that happen when you've been reading a book, but it's seriously like: was this one line popped out, screamed at me, stayed with me for that week, and I'm not kidding. This is probably eight years later. I still think about it all the time. If I said every day, I'd be exaggerating. I have certainly thought about it every day for the last few months as I've prepared for this. But this is the line. And I want you just to to think about this as I say it because um, for some people it might even be controversial. But for me, it was absolutely open up the doors, life-giving. And it said this, the author of this book is Bill Hybels. He is the founding and senior pastor at Willow Creek, which is where Rich just had to go down to. Um, Christ Presbyterian is hosting this, um, this big thing that they do every August around this time. And he's the pastor who started this. This is a book about evangelism. And this is the line that he said. He said, I have become convinced that the single most important spiritual discipline That any of us can engage in is simply listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Now, he then goes on to say, and actually says quite a bit about how there are two huge, huge spiritual disciplines that Christians embark on? And I'm going to ask for your help with this. What are the two huge spiritual disciplines that Christians embark upon when they discover who Jesus or God is to them? Just shout it out. You don't have to raise your hand. This is going well. I feel good. Um, Someone said prayer, and I think Betsy said the other one. Yeah. Um, Prayer, and then... Did you say study? Thank you. Um, Studying God's word. And he describes that those are the two huge things that matter, and they matter so greatly. But he adds this third one, and for me, it was like this light bulb went off, and he basically describes and says that for no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, any situation that you're in, if you are simply listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit, you're not going to go wrong. And so for the next few days, we're going to explore what that means to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit because I think it has huge ramifications for us. If you have your Bible, our very short Bible verse for today is at the very beginning. If you don't have your Bible, you're going to be okay today. You might not be okay other days, but today you're going to be very okay because we know these first verses very well. The verses that we're talking about today are Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters." What that says to me really clearly is the Holy Spirit has been there from the very, very beginning. And there's a whole nother talk that we're going to do, I think on Saturday night, that talks about how once Jesus left the earth, he unleashed the Holy Spirit. It does not change the fact that the Holy Spirit has simply always been present Because God as Trinity have always been the Trinity, and we're going to talk about that as well. Um, One of my absolute favorite things, and I know it's one of our family's favorite things about Family Fest Ministries, is it's not a Lutheran place. Now, let me say that again, because you're like, well, what's wrong with Lutheranism? You're a Lutheran pastor. Um, Family Fest is also not a Catholic place, Family Fest is not a Presbyterian place, it's not a Baptist place, it's not a non-denominational place, it's a Jesus place. And what I love about that is so many of us come from different backgrounds, but we come together in this beautiful way. And I think that our experience and our spirit experience are deeper because we come from all these different places and we appreciate different things about each other's faith backgrounds. And I know for me, that has been one of my absolute best gifts from this place. I think it also resonates with me deeply because I am a denominational mutt. All right? I'm a total Heinz 57 denominational person. Um, Let me explain just a little bit. Um, I've already said, and Pete already said, I'm a Lutheran pastor. I was at a Presbyterian church for 13 years. Megan grew up Episcopal. Um, My grandmother was Pentecostal, um, and my other grandparent was Catholic. So, Oh, I forgot one, an important one. I went to a Baptist seminary. So there's just a lot, lot of denominations going on right here. And I love that because I think that that really expands who God is for us and who the Holy Spirit is for us. So wherever you kind of meet God, see God, and kind of denominationally see God, I think Family Fest is an awesome place for us to come together. The story that I'm going to tell this morning is about that Pentecostal grandmother. Some of you, from knowing us for a long time, might know that I'm half Puerto Rican. I am not just tan. (laughs) I am half Puerto Rican. Um, And what that means is, is my grandparents were born in Puerto Rico, okay? Now, my dad was not born in Puerto Rico. Anyone know where my dad was born? Anyone? It's a really good guess, Betsy. My dad was born in the Bronx in New York City, okay? And my dad was a teenager in the 1950s in the Bronx, and one of my dad's jokes is, but it's not really a joke when he kind of talks about this. He's like, West Side Story was real. You know, he's like, there really were Puerto Rican gangs and jets and sharks. He's like, we just didn't have dance moves. <laughs> That's what he will seriously say. But he's like, it was, it was a real thing. There was like serious fighting going on. Um, but then, if you've noticed, I wasn't born in the Bronx, I was born in St. Paul, Minnesota. And the story that I'm about to tell is when people, if I tell that part of the story and someone says, well, how did your dad get to Minnesota? I will say, well, there's a short story and a long story. Right now, here today, you're going to hear the longer story of how my dad got to Minnesota. It goes back to when my dad was 12 years old. Uh, His sister was 7-year-old. And he had a brother who was 14 years old and a brother who was 16 years old. Carlos, Dennis, Raul, and Norma. I don't know how they came up with these names because (laughs) Carlos, yep, that sounds Puerto Rican. Dennis. (laughs) America. Raul, Puerto Rican. Norma. Now, what you need to understand is Norma is actually a crossover name. It's super Puerto Rican. Like, they don't say Norma like we say Norma. They say, Norma. Norma, come. It's just very, very different. So, my aunt Norma, when she was seven years old, from the time she had been born until the time she was seven, she had an epileptic seizure every day of her life. And this is, you know, before seizure medication. This is the 1950s. And this was a situation... In their household growing up. And I I want you to imagine for just a moment, um, it doesn't matter if you're a mother or a father, but we're going to talk about the specificity of women in a moment because I think it's super important to what we're talking about. But I want you to imagine your desperation having a child that's having an epileptic seizure every day. And these are not little seizures. I mean, she was damaged by these. And my grandmother, in desperation one day, had heard about a Pentecostal faith healer down, down the street. And she said to my grandfather, Carlos, who I never met, says, I'm taking Norma to, to this Pentecostal faith healer because I can't do this anymore. The story is is that my aunt Norma was brought to the Pentecostal faith healer, and hands were laid on her, and for the next year, my aunt Norma did not have one seizure. She was healed for a year. The reason I tell you this story is because it's believe it or not, it is I think part of the reason I'm standing right here today. My grandmother, in my mind, did something amazing. She was completely transformed by this experience, and she decided to convert from Catholicism to Pentecostalism. And she became a Pentecostal. We're going to talk more about my grandma in a moment. Here's another amazing thing my grandmother did as a mother in the 1950s. She looked at her 12-, 14-, and 16-year-old sons and said here's the deal. Norma and I are going to this Pentecostal church. You need to keep going to church. I don't care if you keep going to Mass. I don't care if you find your own church. I don't care if you come with us, but you need to keep going to church. What I find fascinating about this is in the 1950s, she gave them a choice. I just find that totally fascinating that she said, here's the the ground rule. You have to keep going to church, but where you go is your choice. And to a brother... They all chose differently, which I also find fascinating. My 16-year-old uncle, Carlos, who just went to be with the Lord last year, he followed my grandmother to the Pentecostal church. And when my uncle Carlos died last year, he had been a Pentecostal pastor for over 50 years. Changed his life. If you came to my ordination, and I think some of you did, my Uncle Carlos, the year before he died, got to read scripture at my ordination, which I'm not going to talk about much more right now because I'll weep openly and I need to get through a little bit more. (laughs) My 14-year-old Uncle Dennis, he was just fine with the Catholic Church. I'm going to just stay the course. Great Dennis. He stayed Catholic. My dad, 12-year-old Raul. Huh. Mom just told us we could go church shopping. (laughs) If you've met Raul, this will make tons of sense to you. Raul, in some ways, makes me seem like a very calm person. And for those of you who know me, that's saying something. But he is. He is wow. And at age 12 his best friend, Jimmy, went to the Norwegian Lutheran Church down the street. (laughs) You can't make this up. You also can't make up the name of the church, Bronx Lutheran Church. What? Bronx Lutheran Church. And my dad decided to go with Jimmy to church and just check that out. My dad fell in love with Lutheranism, being Lutheran, and from the time he was 12, my dad has been a Norwegian Lutheran. So, like, when we were growing up, like, in Hastings in the 1980s, my dad, my 100% Puerto Rican dad, and my mom, who's pretty much German, they joined the Sons of Norway chapter (laughs) in Hastings, and for a while, they had buttons, and it actually was really embarrassing. I, it not, it's, and it's nothing embarrassing about being Norwegian. If you're Norwegian, there's nothing wrong with that. God bless you. But my, my mom and dad seriously wore a button that said, Norwegian by proxy. <laughs> Just bizarre. Now, if you talk to my dad walking through the door... He is a 100 percent Puerto Rican man, and if you start talking to him, he will start Spanishing with you if you know Spanish. I mean, he's there. He's totally Puerto Rican, but also really just like the Norwegianness got in from age 12, and at Christmas, it kind of goes on overdrive. Like, all the foods at our house aren't Puerto Rican dishes, they're Norwegian. And um, so I say all that because 16-year-old Carlos. Life completely changed. Pentecostal pastor. 14-year-old Dennis stayed Catholic. Life changed. My dad became a Norwegian Lutheran. Now, we still haven't answered. that. I told you this is the long story, but it's good. I mean, there's just good stuff in there. Um, We haven't gotten, like, how did he get to Minnesota? All right. My dad's super musical. And by the time my dad was 16... He'd already been singing in the church choir with the older Norwegian people, but by the time he was 16, they needed a choir director. They said, Raleigh, we'd like you to be our choir director. And so my dad, from the time he was 16 to 21, directed their church choir. My dad doesn't, well, no, he does. Just a few months ago, he was directing a church choir. He's 77. He's still directing choirs, and he's great at it. Um, But my dad came from this Puerto Rican family in the Bronx, didn't have a lot of money at all, and my dad's a super smart person, but growing up, he didn't think he was. And so from 16 to 21, he's like, I'm just going to labor and do a job like that, and I'm going to direct my church choir, and he never thought he would go to college. And he had people at that church who believed in him and said, no, 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 we really think that you should go to college. And he said, I can't afford to go to college. Well, you can kind of do the math. From 18 to 21, he could have gone to college, but he just kept working and being the choir director. And finally, one of the elders of the church sat him down and said, Raleigh, we believe in you. And we support Augsburg College in Minneapolis, Minnesota. And we are, the church is sending you to Augsburg in the fall with a a $900-a-year scholarship. Well, back then, 19-whatever it was, 61, that's all it took. That's all he needed to go, talk to his parents, and he, in 1961, came to Minnesota, and kinda, that's it. Came to Minnesota, met my mom, who is a farm girl from southeastern Minnesota. I mean, they are an unbelievable married 51 years couple, But oftentimes, like, we'll just ask my mom, like, what's going on? Like, you were at Augsburg in the early 60s. You know, it is just Lily Whiteville, and you fall in love with the one Puerto Rican guy. And because my mom really is. Like, if you met her, she's just like, she seems like she totally could belong in southeastern Minnesota on a farm. We're like, what is that about? Isn't that strange that you fell in love with him? And when my mom answers, she just says this. I just thought he was cute. <laughs> and, and my mom really is like that. She is one of those people that falls in love with your heart. Yes, she thinks my dad's cute. Like, even back then, 55 years ago, she probably didn't see color in the way that other people... She was just like, whatever. He just was great, and they fell in love. Um, and then in 1964... Uh, he graduated, she's about five years younger than him, and she quit college, and they moved back to New York City to work at uh, the Bronx School for the Blind. And they had a deal that my mom would do that. She was super excited to go to New York City, but she said, as soon as I get pregnant, we're moving back to Minnesota, and that was their deal, and that's what happened. They got pregnant with my brother in 1967, and they moved back to the Twin Cities, and they've been back ever since. Um, So that's how I came to be in Minnesota because we've been Minnesotan our whole life. The reason I told you that long story about New York City and Pentecostalism and the whole thing is it wasn't only my Uncle Carlos who became a Pentecostal pastor. My grandmother was so taken by Pentecostalism, the Holy Spirit, God, that she felt a call on her life to go to seminary. My abuela in the 1950s went to seminary and became a Pentecostal pastor. Now, I'm getting some great looks from people, and you're not wrong. Like, I was like, okay, she was a woman in the 1950s. How did that happen? The Pentecostal church was like one of the first denominations who were like, gender, schmender, doesn't matter. The spirit matters and if the spirit has put that on a woman's heart we're not messing with that and so my grandma died in 1992 and we were there for her funeral and we were looking through some of her stuff and she had one of her report cards from seminary and she had like five classes and it was like one of those old blue report cards that were typed up and in every grade on her thing was just a straight A A a, And she had kept that in like a box of things that were really, really important to her. So in addition to my Uncle Carlos, my grandmother Lydia was a pastor as well. So even though my Uncle Carlos was kind of nearing death, he wasn't doing well when he came to my ordination, he told me, he told my dad, he's like, there's nothing that would keep me from getting on that plane because my nephew is becoming a pastor Um, and he had read scripture at all of our kids, or at all of our weddings, me and my sister and my brother and ours, and um, so he came, and that was such a huge honor for him. The reason I tell you that story is I think back in the 1950s, my grandmother was listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit when she took my Aunt Norma to that Pentecostal faith healer. And I'm going to be sexist right now, and I'm going to overgeneralize, but I'm hopefully going to say it with a caveat so that you know I'm doing it. I think in general, and of course we have lots of examples where you could prove me otherwise, but I think in general, women have a leg up on men about listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit. I'm just going to say it out loud like that because... When we talk about, and sometimes we even joke about, ah, it's women's intuition. Oh, it's my gut. Honey, just trust me on this one. And I've been married 16 years. Sometimes it's like, you're not going to win this one. Because she knows. Like, beyond just, oh, I have a feeling, there's like this deep, deep knowing. I think my grandmother knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that she needed to take my Aunt Norma there. Now, guys, that same exact listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit is absolutely just as accessible for us. Don't get me wrong. It's not just a woman's thing. I'm just saying, and I know I'm overgeneralizing. If you want to talk to me about it later and be like, you're overgeneralizing, that's not true. That's great. I'd love to talk about it. But I'm saying I, I see men put up more roadblocks sometimes when they are thinking they're listening or hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit. Sometimes they'll say, eh, I'll put up this roadblock of that won't work, or I'll put up this roadblock of I think I heard it wrong, or I'll put up this roadblock of I've got work to do. There are a lot of roadblocks that can go up. Now, trust me, I, I understand I'm overgeneralizing. Women can do the exact same thing. I'm simply saying I have observed with women that I love, women that I know, women that I'm friends with, they have an ability to seem to put that stuff down quicker. And I just offer that as something for us to think about. Now, the reason I'm so excited about the Holy Spirit is I think that it's accessible to us at all times. Whenever I am with a a kid, a teenager, a middle school, high schooler, or elementary age kid, and we're talking about God, and they will talk about kind of being really excited about something that happened God-wise, or they'll be listening to music, and and like hairs on end of, of their arm will like go up. Nothing gets me more excited than talking to a kid about that experience because I describe to people and I preach about it as the Holy Spirit is the part of God that we feel. It is the part of God that we feel. And I'm going to go even a step further. I think if you are at worship and you are just so bowled over by the music, which already happened to me today, during the Alleluia song, Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. When you see something beautiful happen with your child, I think that, and you are just, your heart stops and you're awakened, I think that's the Holy Spirit. But I think the Spirit is huge enough and big enough and bigger than church and bigger than denomination that it also happens when you are so excited and you are like even at a U2 concert and like your hair goes on end. I'm not saying that that's worship. Don't hear me wrong in that. I'm saying that the Spirit is everywhere all the time and is accessible in that way. And I think when we give ourselves to it, and when we say yes to the Spirit, when we are listening well, Holy Spirit things will happen all the time, and we'll be able to point to it and say, I think the Holy Spirit is telling me to do this. So one of the things that we're going to do every day in our time together and then in our small groups is we're going to ask the question, what do you think the Holy Spirit is telling you right now? And you could even take a moment to close your eyes and think about that. It could be something that you're like, I'm not sure about what he just said. Or um, just even stop yourself for a moment, close your eyes, and just ask yourself this question. What do you think the Holy Spirit is asking you to do right now? Or what is the Holy Spirit asking you to think about right now? I'm just going to give you a moment just to think about that for, let's say, 30 seconds. As you've thought about that, we're not going to have you share right now unless someone is just like, oh my goodness, the Holy Spirit just told me this and says, we should end right now. No. <laughs> you are, if you would like, have an opportunity to share that in your small group or maybe with the person you came with. Just kind of talk about that a little bit. Um, and here's another verse that we're a set of verses that we're going to look at Genesis 1-2 describes the Spirit always being there. And the wonderful thing about the Bible is you can find things where you can be like, okay, the Holy Spirit came in Acts 2, and that's when things took off like wildfire. But then you can look at the very beginning and see Genesis 1-2, and it says the Spirit was hovering over the waters. And there's something indistinguishable about the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They are different and they're the same. Um, I've been through 20 years of youth ministry trying to use many different um, analogies like an egg or water to describe the Trinity, and they all break apart at some point. If you have a rock-solid definition of the Trinity that uses something physical that I can actually use, I will pay you $1 million. (laughs) Okay? So just think about that. But um, in, in the Gospel of John... The Gospel of John, something amazing happens. These are Jesus' words. He is speaking, and it talks about how the Trinity works together. It says this, If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father. This is Jesus asking the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. So in one sentence, you see how the Trinity works. Jesus the Son is asking the Father, will you give these people your Holy Spirit? Like in one sentence, everyone is right there. And when that Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, all three of them were there. They are our definition of community and how we work together, how we are never alone. God has never been alone. Sometimes we think about why God created human beings. It wasn't because God was lonely. God is a community in God's self. The community is together. God created human beings and the glorious creation that we see out of love. And out of an overflowing of, there was almost like nothing else he could do. He had to do it because he had so much love that was happening in The Trinity. So, this is what we want to be thinking about for the next few days days, is what is God telling you right now? I know where Megan and I are at right now and you're going to hear a little bit more of that on Sunday. But everyone in the room is somewhere. Well, yeah, Kyle, that's right. Everyone has... Stuff happening in their life. Everyone has stuff going on. And sometimes when we come to camp, just because we're so excited to see each other, we're like, yeah, everything's good. Everything's fine. I'm here to tell you right now, you're at a place where wherever you're at is wherever you're at. And if you're not 100% fine, fine. That is totally okay. Okay. Because I can guarantee you, everyone in the room has something going on right now. Something that they're thinking about, something that they're praying about. Something where the Holy Spirit can come in and speak to. And I believe powerly, like in every fiber of my being believe, that God gave us each other to talk to, about what the Spirit is doing in each other's life. And I would just ask for the next few days that we not let that go by, that when we're in our small groups, we could have conversations that were like really saying like, this is what the Holy Spirit is telling me. You're going to hear much more on Saturday night. I cannot tell you how blessed Megan and I were um, at around 2010, 2011, when we were trying to figure out if we were moving to Iowa. It was people in this group and other things that I'm going to talk about that, without a shadow of a doubt, helped us go, helped us know that that's what the Holy Spirit wanted us to do, and there is power in that. So I want to pray for us as we go into our groups. Are we going to sing before we do that, Pete? No. So let me just say a prayer over us, and then we're going to kind of get into small groups and that sort of thing. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, there is a beautiful old hymn that says, Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on me. I pray, Lord Jesus, that your Holy Spirit, like that song says, would invade us that we would feel it in every fiber of our being. And Lord Jesus, if there are those in the room who really aren't feeling your Holy Spirit right now, that there would be those in this room who would be Jesus and the Holy Spirit with skin on for those people. That there would be Holy Spirit moments where we would look at each other and see each other and say, hey, what's going on, and that there would be an openness, that you would mold us, that you would mend us, that you would heal us, and Lord Jesus, that we would see your face, that we would trust the Holy Spirit, that we would trust the voice that we hear would be the strongest, most true thing that we hear this week. Lord Jesus, thank you for the gift that you give us. Thank you for thank you for the legacy of our families that we all come from. Thank you for my grandmother Lydia who listened to your voice of the Holy Spirit so well so long ago. It is in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.